Let's open our Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. As often as we will deal with issues of prophecy and uh, end time fulfillments of these prophecies, Daniel is also a tremendous book of, of spiritual encouragement, lessons that we need to embrace in these days and times in which we live. And most importantly, the lesson of standing fast in the midst of a cruel and uh, evil and wicked world. Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who we will know tonight as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were Jewish young men that were taken into this captivity in, in Babylon because of Nebuchadnezzar's conquering of, uh, of Jerusalem after having already taken Egypt as well. And so in Babylon are a number of nations that they have taken captive and, and assimilated into their culture and lifestyle and language and religion. Except for these four, probably a whole lot more too, but four that we know. Belteshazzar, which is Daniel, and of course... Shadrachul, Meshachul, and Abednego, named after the gods of Babylon, but certainly those gods weren't their gods, for they only had one. And Daniel was given a dream, actually Nebuchadnezzar was given a dream, and, and Daniel was the only one in the whole kingdom that had received the dream from the Lord, the same dream that God had given to Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel had received it because Daniel said, in effect, in prayer, Lord, give me this dream. Because if somebody doesn't get this dream and give the interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar, he's going to kill all the wise men here in, uh, in Babylon, and we're part of this group. He didn't say it in those terms. That's just Charlie's little translation. But Nebuchadnezzar realized that all of his wise men and his astrologers and his soothsayers and all of them, none of them could, could actually give, them, give Nebuchadnezzar the dream. They were mostly used to just giving interpretations, which they could actually come up with interpretations of any kind and the you know, the king would probably say, well, that's good, I'm, all right, you know. But this was different. Because the dream truly stirred in, in, in Nebuchadnezzar's heart. And Daniel proved that these astrologers and soothsayers and magicians and uh, counselors and all, they were just full of a lot of hot wind. But Daniel said, our God, my God, And give me the dream and I will give you the interpretation as well. And he did. And it was about the nations. It was about the Gentile empires from Nebuchadnezzar on throughout, of his, throughout all of history. And at the very end of the interpretation, Nebuchadnezzar, as we saw at the very end of the chapter last time, Nebuchadnezzar actually gives praise to the God of Daniel. And he raises Daniel up to a high position in Babylon. And Daniel requests for his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, to also be considered. And he gave them oversight of, of the province of Babylon. 
And you would think that after Nebuchadnezzar had given this praise to the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, that uh, he was now going to be a Christian. Quote, unquote, of course. Because unfortunately, a lot of us think that sometimes if a person would just pray, then they must be a Christian, right? But that's not the case, is it? Or we tell somebody, listen, you should receive the Lord. Say this prayer. Now you're a Christian. That's not the way it's done, is it? A person truly has to believe. So we come to verse 1 of chapter 3, and we begin to see Nebuchadnezzar's response to that dream that he had. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was threescore cubits. That's 90 feet, by the way. And the breadth three, uh, thereof uh, six cubits, which is nine feet. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, and the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And then the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages. Of course, because they weren't, just, they weren't all Chaldeans, they weren't all uh, Babylonians, because they had brought in so many people. The, uh, they brought in the, the Jews from, from Israel and they brought the Egyptians and, and uh, some of the uh, Assyrians as well. O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. So if you don't fall down and worship this image, you're going to be cast into this fiery furnace. Therefore at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. So this evening we're going to be looking at one of a number of trials that are going to come into the lives of Daniel's three friends and also into the life of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And like it or not, trials and tribulations, afflictions and the like are significant aspects in our lives as believers in Jesus Christ. In fact, we are, of course, clearly told in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. In other words, let patience have its complete and perfect work, that you may be complete and entire or full, wanting nothing, lacking nothing. And so temptations and trials are for the testing of our faith with the purpose of working patience in our lives and producing patience, which is one of the fruit of the Spirit, by the way. But notice that James is not saying if you fall into various trials. He doesn't say that. But when, when you fall into various trials, you, we, we should expect them to come. 
And there is no accident with God, by the way. There are no accidents with God. Let's, let's make that pretty clear tonight. And the idea of falling into trials, as the text tells us in the King James here, but the idea of falling into trials is better understood as encountering trials or coming across trials. Because every day, if, if you don't stay behind the four walls of your home, besides, if, even if you did stay inside the four walls of your home, you're going to find trials there too. But every day as you go out to work or go to school or wherever it is as you go, you will encounter trials. You'll come across them. Is there anybody who's never come across them? If you raise your hand, you better watch out. Better not lie. Now don't become discouraged by this, by the very fact that we're going to have to face trials. We will face trials. The Lord uses a variety of trials and various experiences in life to produce or to complete something beautiful for His glory. You know what He does? He completes you and me. That is His work. Through everything that He uses, that is His work in us. Think about it this way. The ancient Eastern goldsmith, the the person who worked with precious uh, stones or precious uh, materials, Precious elements like gold, silver, and so on and so forth. The ancient eastern goldsmith would keep gold, let's say, in a, in a fiery, fiery furnace until he could see his own reflection in it. When he could see his own reflection in that purified gold that would rise to the top, you know, you would, of course, the, the, the pure impurities would rise to the top and then he would, he would just scrape them right off. And as soon as he would see his reflection in the gold, then he knew it was ready. It was pure. And this is what the Lord does with us. He allows the fires of tribulation to purge us of the impurities in our lives so that they can be removed. And so, as God looks at us, He will see his own reflection. Or let's put it this way. He should see his own reflection. He should see. But let's remember that this is a lifelong process. It doesn't happen overnight. We would like it to happen overnight. So let's have patience. Because patience produces His perfect works in us. So through all these trials, we are to give praise, honor, and glory to God. And and true faith like pure gold, true faith like pure gold will endure no matter how hot the fire is burned up. As we shall soon see in the lives of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Well, getting back to the text we just read... Nebuchadnezzar was quite affected by the dream, as I said earlier, its, it's interpretation by Daniel and, and the gravity about his significant, his significant role in, in Gentile history. And, and, and while first acknowledging and worshiping the God of Daniel, his response is quite significant as well. He causes a golden image, more than likely of himself, some have believed, causes this image to be erected. The image itself, as I said before, is 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. Now, this is an interesting ratio because uh, normally a cubit is about 18 inches, sometimes measured from elbow to to tip of the hand, okay? So that's that's a cubit, about 18 inches or so. With using that as a standard, then this image was 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, So this ratio of 10 to 1 of height and width doesn't really fit an image of human form. For it would be too, too slender. But the Babylonians would often distort the human figure in making images. Or the image may have been in proper proportions, but was set on a pedestal to make it more imposing. So that's one other way of of looking at it. The difference between this image which he made and the image of the dream that the Lord had given is, is quite obvious. This image was made entirely of gold. Now remember, uh, and by the way, it's not entirely of gold. It was gold-plated because that's how they built things. They, they made things 
out of, uh, of, of a hard wood, and then they would plate that wood with gold. But this image, which was made entirely of gold in that particular sense, represented that his kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom, which was the head, if you remember, the head of gold in the dream, had represented Babylon. So this image, which was of gold, represented that his kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom, would never meet its end. All of it would be gold. In contrast to the dream. Which said the head was of gold, the chest was of silver, and the, the midsection was of bronze, and of course the legs were of iron, and then the feet were of iron and clay. But he just said, hey, I'm the head of gold. I'll just make the whole thing gold. Because my kingdom is not going to end. It would be forever, he thought. Now Daniel had said to the king that the dream was certain and the interpretation was sure. And the king responded with praise to Daniel's God. But now Nebuchadnezzar was saying it didn't matter what God said. It didn't matter what Daniel's God said for his kingdom would last forever. And as I said, so he thought. So he thought. You may not know the name Baldur von Shirach. Baldur von Shirach was uh, the head of the youth program in Nazi Germany. This group was also known as the Hitler Youth. Now you've probably all heard of the Hitler Youth, right? Well, this man, Baldur von Schirach, once said this. He's quoted, and by the way, he had to face uh, his, his own uh, trial of execution at, uh, in Nuremberg, I believe. But he said, if we act, and I quote, if we act as true Germans, we act according to the laws of God. Whoever serves Adolf Hitler, the Fuhrer, serves Germany, and whoever serves Germany serves God. That's what he said. He was bold in saying that. And of course, we know what the outcome was. You see, power can go right to one's head. But as the old saying goes, power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that was Nebuchadnezzar. The image was placed, as we're told in the Scriptures in the plain of Dura, for all to see. Now it's interesting that a French archaeologist whose name was Jules Aupert found an exact square of about 46 feet at the base and some 25 feet high, the base itself, located some six miles southeast of Babylon that may have been the base for this image. Now the area is called Tolul Dura or Mounds of Dura. And in the open, in the open plain where this image would have been if it was on this spot. This golden image would have shined brightly in the desert sun and could be seen from miles and miles away. And at the completion of, of, of the image, as our text tells us, a dedication ceremony was commanded by the king and so eight classes of officials were summoned. The princes which is all, they're also known as satraps, were the chief representatives of the king. And then the next step down were the governors, who were the administrators or civil commanders, the commander of all civil affairs in Babylon. And then the next step down were the, the captains or the military commanders. And then came the judges or the counselors to those in governmental authority. Then came the treasurers over all of the... Uh, uh, all of the funds of Babylon. After that came the sheriffs who passed judgment in keeping the law. And the rulers of the provinces came last. All the other regional government officials, of which were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So now, and by the way, I mentioned that because we see them mentioned here, but we don't see Daniel mentioned. And you might, if you, if you do refer back to, um, you refer back to the last part of, of chapter 2 where, where Daniel, it says, it requested the king and he sat Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. 
which gives us some indication we're not really sure where he was, but we would think that he was doing something for the king because he was that high up in the government. So we could only speculate where Daniel was, but this isn't about Daniel. This is not about Daniel. This is about our God. So, the command in chapter 2 was that if the wise men couldn't tell the king his dream and the interpretation, they would all be killed in their homes made into an ash heap. But here in chapter 3, the command was to all who hear the sound of the various musical instruments. And we're not going to go into the detail of the musical instruments. We could if we wanted to. I actually have taught this and, and gone through all the instruments and talked about them all. What's a sack butt? That was actually an, old, an older English word that was used for trombone, but it wasn't a trombone in, in Babylonian times, but that's... Some of those names were adapted later in music, uh, modern music. So, you know, we could just say, the important thing to say is music has a very strong, powerful influence with people, doesn't it? Look at our day and time today. Look at how music can influence a lot of young people, a lot of different directions. In the world, mostly bad directions. The application of music in, in in demonic worship, the application in, in modern music to, to kind of draw people into, the, into that direction. You know, these are things we have to be careful of. Music has a powerful influence, and, and Nebuchadnezzar knew that, and he used this <coughs> as part of their worship. <coughs> so when these musical instruments began to resound, they were then, the people, were all to fall down and to worship the image. We know that because he says, oh, people of nations and, 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 and languages. So the command wasn't just for the officials, it were for all the people. But the officials were gathered together, so they were brought in from wherever they were ruling in, in Babylon so that they could all be together to, for this one great decree. And of course the image represented the king. And, and for those who refused to follow through with this command, they would be cast into a fiery furnace. And please note that there would not be a long court process for those who refused the command. There were no room for appeals. There wasn't even jail. There wasn't even a jail term. You weren't booked. You were cooked. That's a big difference here. And please note that there would not be a long. I'm sorry. That, that there, you know the case in itself would, would immediately be going into the fiery furnace. Well, let's read on because we want to get caught up here where we're going to be today. Verse 8, it says, Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. Now, this is not hard to understand that they would accuse the Jews. you know why? How could it be that Daniel, who was a Jew, a young Jew at that, would be the one raised to as high a position in the government of Babylon and then... By his own request, the other three young men were, would be raised up to a, a level of, of governmental authority as well. How could that be? Bypassing a lot of people who have been government workers for a long time probably. And uh, also who uh, were not, and, and, and this was known, they were not fond of worshipping the gods of Babylon. They just didn't do it. So they accused the Jews. And they spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, Oh, king, live forever. You know, that's just, you know, well, I don't want to call it what it is. But you understand what it is, kind of coming up against Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, king, live forever. You know, getting on his good side. Thou, O king, has made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews 
whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. Now, you know, I, I read that and I thought, they were pretty bold to say that. To say that to the king, the ones you put into place. They started with that, but then immediately, what did they say? Oh, they haven't regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image with that which thou hast set up. They were tattled on. You see, some of these Chaldeans came before the king, accusing Daniel's three friends of disobeying the decree to worship the image. While everybody else was on their face before this image, these men were just standing there. They wouldn't bow down. That's defiance, certainly. But that's obedience to a greater God. That's obedience to the greater God, you see. Remember that these friends of Daniel were, again, were placed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. I I think we can see a problem here, right? These Jewish captives were placed in a position of authority over these wise men of Babylon. And as this animosity grew against these Jewish men, the the Chaldeans saw one way of getting back at them. Their plan was to get them to either compromise their faith and worship the image or to be burned in the fiery furnace for furnace for refusing to worship the image. And these young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, knew the commandments of their God. This is what I mean by the fact that they were defiant because they were obedient to a greater God. To the greater God, in fact, to the only great God. And we're well aware of the commandments in Exodus 20, verses 3 through 6, that say, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You know, as Christians, we, we, we do need to review the commandments of God often. They're a part of the Word of God that we have to use as a mirror for our souls and a mirror for our lives lived out in faith in this world? His commandment to us is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Do we check our lives and say, You know what? I'm making a God of this. I'm making a God of that. I'm making a God of this person. I've made a God of someone or something that is not God. And I can do that as a Christian. Not that I should do it. But some Christians take their eyes off of the one God, the one true God and the Lord Jesus Christ and they put their attention on other things and even people. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Implied in this, of course, is thou shalt not make any Make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. In other words, thou shalt not make any kind of image of any kind of thing for the sake of worshiping it or applying worship to it. The golden calf that would eventually come after this giving of the law to the people. The golden calf was someone's conception of the God that they were worshiping. We want a God that we can see. But our God is not seen with a human eye. And the closest that we ever came became the privilege of those who lived in the time of Jesus, who was the image, the express image of God His Father. Thou shalt not make any uh, unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. The whole picture is you don't bow down 
to worship them, or to serve them. What did the, the Lord say to the people after they disobeyed Him in these things? He said, you make, you make gods out of stone and wood. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. And they become fools. That is why in the Psalms it says, The fool has said in his heart there is no God. And we are living in a time of great foolishness. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Ooh, don't tell that to Oprah. She got mad one time. Well, my God isn't that way. I hear these people say, God is a jealous God. Well, yeah, He is, because He said He is. I'd listen to Him. Visiting the iniquity of thy fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. But notice this next verse. And showing mercy, mercy, mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So Oprah, it's not about you. It's about the God you don't really love. You've made your own gods. By the way, she's a new age goddess by the, you know. I don't know why I got into Oprah. I heard her say that one time. It just stuck to my head. (sighs) These three young Jewish men lived what they believed. And the others saw that. They saw it. They saw it when they had put that that test out to them that said, you know what, well, you know, we're not going to eat the foods that, that are offered to idols, so give us this and we'll eat this for 10 days. And then, and then you, you remember that in chapter 1. What, what, what they did, they proved that their God was protecting them and, and strengthening them without having to eat the food of the Babylonians. It wasn't about food, it was about faith. Their faith shined brightly. And in this case, others were, were going to try to destroy them for it. You know, we talk about the shining, bright, the shining brightness of, of this image out in the, the middle of the desert sun. These three young men, their faith shined brighter. They did not try to hide their faith, but they lived it out for the whole world to see. Remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 4. I'm sorry, Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. He said, you are the light of the world. He's telling the disciples and he's telling us, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. When you go to Israel, some of you are going to go actually in January, just less than a month we're going to go to Israel. Uh, but when you go to Israel at night, you, you see the mountains that surround the, 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 the Sea of Galilee. This is where... This is where Jesus was at the time, you know, when he was speaking of it. And they understood what he said. A city on a hill cannot be hidden because there were lights. And you see the lights on the top of these hills and mountains. And there's cities up there. There's people living there. A city can't be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. These young men let their light so shine. But those who saw them at this time were not going to glorify their Father in heaven. Why? Because the world is furious at faith in our God when our faith is lived out for Jesus Christ. The world is furious. Look at it today. It's furious if we mention Jesus on TV or in the paper or in the magazine or wherever, you know. A bunch of crybabies. We live in a world, we live in a country where we have the freedom to worship. 
We've been given that. You know, we've all, we can worship anyway. We don't, we don't need the Constitution, but the Constitution's good. I mean, but we don't need it because we have a God who gave us a command and we should do it. Worship the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, but we have so many of these fools. Because that's what they're called in the Scriptures. Who don't believe the fool has said in his heart. There's no God. So they go around saying, oh, there's no God. So, you know, you Christians got to say Jesus. And, and you know, I don't want to hear about this. And then, and then they attack Christmas because Christ is in the word Christmas, you know. Oh, my. Okay, so calm down, Charlie, calm down. <laughs> They're furious at our faith. All I can tell you is let's make them more furious. Let's live for Jesus Christ each and every day of our lives. Let's quit letting people dictate how we are to live. We live right because we live by God's Word. I hope that we do. And we still want to bring them to Christ, so we need to love people. But, oh, those are the, re- those are the reasons why we've got to pray every day. Verse 13 says, And Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury, look at that, rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And then they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, do not you serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? In other words, is it true that you have not served my gods and you haven't worshipped them? Is it true? Now, if you be ready... Now, if you be ready that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made well. In other words, it's well with you. It'll be well for you. It'll be good for you. But, if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands. Whoa! Who is that God? Well, Nebuchadnezzar, that God is the same God that gave the dream to Daniel to tell to you and then gave him the interpretation of it. It's that God. Who is going to deliver them out of his hands? But we know what his intention was and we know what, what his motives were. And we know what the foundation was of his heart at that time. Now, it is interesting to me that the king gave these men a second chance. As it were. In other words, an opportunity to comply with the command and bow down and worship this gold image. In other words... If anyone else, they would have just, they saw that they weren't bowing down, they would have taken them and just taken them and thrown them into the fiery furnace. The people feared Nebuchadnezzar that much so that they all bowed down. There was no one else standing except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Except these three. So it's interesting that he gave them this opportunity. Probably because they were uh, officials. But I want you also to take note that the king challenges any god to circumvent his authority. Especially the god of Daniel and of these men. Talk about pride. That's the foundation, by the way. Talk about pride. In fact, this is what will bring him down in the next chapter. His pride. So with this thread before them, what would they do? What would these young men do? Would they stand for what they believe or would they, would they crumble to the pressure? I think these are the questions we need to ask ourselves when faced with very similar situations. Not that we're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace, but the very fact that we, we are going to be put, on a posi- put in a position of compromising our faith in Jesus Christ. Think about that for a moment. Will they stand for what they believe or will they crumble to the pressure? Let's look at verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, notice they didn't go on and say, O king, live forever. 
They didn't say that because they knew you ain't going to live forever. Not, not in the flesh, of course. But he said, they said, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Just, just, just understand that what it, what it means in the old English was a little bit different. But in other words, we are, we are concerned about what we say before you. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and He will deliver us out of thine hand, O King. Notice they didn't say He might. They said He will. But, if not, be it known unto thee, O King, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. We will not. Because we have a God, a God that we serve, who is able to deliver us from your fiery furnace and out of your hands. But even if he doesn't, he does. Even if He doesn't deliver us from the fire or from your hands, He will deliver us into His arms. These men did not need to give the king a long, drawn-out defense for themselves. Their response was that, they, was, was that the God they serve can deliver them. That was their response, pure and simple. They never once doubted God's ability but they also never presumed to know God's will. They didn't presume. That wasn't presumption to say that God was going to deliver them because they never said, yeah, don't, even, don't even turn up the fire because he, He's going to deliver us from it. No, He said, our God is able. Our God can If it be so, though. Did you know that first phrase there in verse uh, verse 15? Or I'm sorry, in verse 17? If it be so. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver. So he says, my God, our God has the ability to do this. Whether he does it or not the way we would hope, in the sense of rescuing us physically from it, one thing is for sure, we're not going to bow down to your image and we're not, we're not going to worship it or in fact worship you. We're not going to do that. Yeah, He's still going to deliver us. So they didn't presume upon knowing God's will that they were very clear in recognizing that the Lord's plan for them might just be different than their own desires. It was Job who said this, and it's really the first part of this next verse. He says, though He slay me, yet will I trust in Him. Joe said, though he slay me, even if the Lord would take my life, yet I will trust in him. This is the same attitude of heart that these three men, and you can include Daniel in that, because we'll see Daniel facing the same, uh, well, not the same thing, but the, he'll, they'll, he'll be facing a, 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 another challenge, as it were, chapter 6. But these three young men had the same attitude as Job, though God were to just take us into that fiery furnace. If He's not going to rescue us physically, He's going to rescue us anyway. He's going to, we're going to be with Him. So we're going to be delivered from you no matter what. You see. Now, now, the, the, now the Christian has to understand the very same thing. And I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'm getting, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let's, let's just go on. These men were fully resigned, in other words, to the will of God. They were fully resigned to the will of God, whatever the will of God was. Do we all know what the will of God is? I don't know what the will of God is every day. I, I would hope that I know one thing about the will of God, that we are to do certain things that it says, that do this according, you know, uh, because it's the will of God for you. Give thanks in everything, for this is the will of God concerning... You know, give, give thanks in everything 
uh, my head's all jumbled here, I'm sorry. <laughs> in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. So I want to, get, I want to do that. I want to give thanks, because no matter what I see, in everything I can give thanks, because that's the will of God in Christ Jesus for me. So these men were fully resigned to the will of God, whatever the will of God was going to be. They asked for no miracle. Look, look, they really did not ask for a miracle. But they could believe in a miracle, but they didn't ask for it. And they expected none. It brings us to ask the question, what have I compromised in my walk with the Lord? What have I compromised? It might not be one big thing, but many little things, right? It could be. I would hope not, but sometimes we compromise. We are called to stand strong in the faith, making no excuses, and always remembering that our God is able to deliver us if it is His will in our trials, through our trials, and in spite of our trials. And at the end of every trial, His name will be glorified no matter what. No matter what the outcome, His name will be glorified. No matter what, He will be honored. He will be glorified. He will be praised. The name of Jesus Christ will be lifted up. No matter what the end result will be. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, Paul said, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men, be strong. Quit being like men. In the sense of flesh. And be strong. Spiritually. Spiritually strong. Which brings us, of course, to Ephesians 6, verses 10 and 11. Actually, 10 through 18, because of time I can't go through all of it. But you all know what it is. It's the section that deals with what? The armor of God. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God. And then read that tonight and realize this is what God wants us to do, to be strong, not in and of our own power because we don't have that strength. Paul even said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when I am weak, then I am strong. Because His strength, God's strength, Christ's strength is made perfect in my weakness. We as believers in Jesus Christ can be strengthened not only by the person and work of Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us, but we can be strengthened by His resources as well. How many of us in this room tonight, and I wish I was talking to all of our congregations, you know, because we have... Saturday night, and we got Sunday morning, three or two services, and then we got tonight. You know, but if we were to gather everybody together, I wouldn't want to ask all of us together. Do we trust in the resources that God has given us in Jesus Christ? There are great resources that we can trust in. The first one is what you have in your hands, the Word of God. Are you trusting in God's Word? Are you standing upon the Word of God? Are you reading it? Are you believing it? Are you praying with it before you every day and asking God from the very foundation of His Word for the things that you need, for the supplications that you lift up, for the requests that you make known to Him? Are you not realizing how strong we are in the resources that the Lord has given us? Philippians chapter 4 Paul in verses 10 through 13 says this, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care for me has flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but, but you lacked opportunity. By the way, when he says at the last, he says now, that now at the last your care of me has flourished. Paul knew this, this was a, his last letter to a church before he writes, of course, Second Timothy. And his very, very last letter. But this to a church, he says that he rejoices that now at last your care of me has flourished again. Then he says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. In whatever state I'm in, I'm content. Because he trusted in the resources of God and of Christ. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I know if I have to deal with things where I, I don't have things that I would normally want to have with me, I know how to be abased. I, I know how to be empty, but I also know how to be full. And then he states the very case for trusting in the resources of God when he says, I can do all things through Christ 
which strengthens me. I can do all things. In other words, in context, I can do all things. I can go hungry, and, 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 but I can be full. I, all of these things I can handle because I trust in the resources of my God in Christ Jesus. I trust in them. They'll always be there. I want to state this. It's a very I hope to be a very honest in my heart about these things. But when we really trust God, when we face a, a tremendous trial, listen, we're here for you. The church will do whatever it can to help in whatever way. But when people take advantage of that, they do so without trusting in the resources of God in Christ Jesus. Do you you all understand what I'm saying? We want to help someone get up and then say, now, trust the Lord. You know, we've been given this opportunity to help you. It's a blessing to us. We, We want you to be blessed because your testimony will be God lifted me up and now I can trust Him from here on. But to take advantage of that is to say, you know, I, I'm not trusting in God. I'm trusting in Calvary Chapel. That's wrong. That's way wrong. Because Calvary Chapel didn't die for your sins. But Jesus did. And I'm, I'm strengthened. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. You go all the way back to the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, when, when the, the exchange from, from the leadership of Moses to the leadership of Joshua is to be, be, taken, in, to be taken into effect. God says here, do not, He says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Whatever enemy you may face, listen, do not be afraid. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He is the one with you. If we're believers in Jesus Christ, who's with us? He is. He doesn't say, accept me as your Lord and Savior. Receive me, pray, you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay, you're a Christian now. Go, get out of here. It's not what God does to us. He says, oh, praise the Lord. He embraces and then let's go. He goes with us. We're never alone. Even if we feel alone. See, that's feelings. It's not faith. John 16, verse 33. Before Jesus goes to the cross, He gives this tremendous encouragement. He says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. He doesn't say, you, you might have. He says, you will have. Tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I'm with you. And what I go do on the cross is going to affect the rest of your lives. I mentioned the three young men standing against Nebuchadnezzar. Our God's able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, but even if He doesn't, we're not going to bow down to you. And I wanted to close at least our study tonight because next week we'll, we'll deal with the fiery furnace. But I wanted to end with a thought about the last days of Paul the Apostle. I, I would have to believe that the, the older I get in in the Lord and, and, and the, the more we draw nearer to, to the coming of Jesus, the more I realize the, the importance of this, the singular and personal letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, the second letter. And what it means to me in ministry today. Where Paul says, I have fought a good fight I finished the race. I've kept the faith. 
kept the faith. In spite of all of the beatings and and despisings, the insults and the cursings and the stonings and everything that Paul ever went through. Two special verses for me to share with you tonight in 2 Timothy 4, verses 17 and 18. He said, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And not long after that amen would Paul face the sharp blade of his executioner. But at the moment that he faces that sharp blade, Paul enters into glory. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I think when he says, the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto His heavenly kingdom was the very same attitude of heart when these young men said, even if He doesn't deliver me or us from the fiery furnace, He will deliver us into His kingdom. Even if we don't get delivered that way, we ain't bowing down to your image. How many images, how many Nebuchadnezzars are trying to make us compromise our stand in Jesus Christ tonight? What are we going to do? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He's pretty wily. He's more wily than wily coyote. And he's cunning. He's deceptive. He's fierce. But our God is greater. And he that is in us is greater than he that is in this world. Let's never forget that promise. He that is in us is greater. Is Jesus in you? Let's pray. So, Father, thank you. For showing us yourself through your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for delivering us from the darkness 
of this world into the marvelous, delivering us into the marvelous light of your glory. We thank you, Lord, for delivering us out of the death trap of this world into life that is everlasting and complete in Jesus Christ. We thank you for pulling us out of the despair that this world can only offer us and placing us in the love of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, as we seriously meditate and consider this passage tonight and the accompanying references, Lord, in your word to these things so that, Father, we might know that if there's anything keeping us from doing what you want us to do, we want to remove it right now. We want to lay it aside. In fact, Lord, in laying it aside, we want to die to ourselves so that we might let Christ live in us. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, that we would take your words and embrace them deep into our hearts. Envelop us, Lord, with your spirit, we pray, as we look for the day of Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.